Welcome back to Sharkasm Radio. I am Shar. If this is your first time here, I'll tell you a little bit about the podcast. So this podcast is pretty random. I talk about anything and everything. I like to talk about politics. I like to talk about music, movies, gossip, my personal experiences, mental health, you name it. Today, I have a very special guest on my show. I interviewed a retired geologist. I met him about a month ago, and I'll tell you more about that during the interview, but I instantly knew that he had to be on my show. So I asked him, and he loved the idea. He said I have a lot of stories to tell. So without further ado, this is Geology Rocks. Okay, so I'm here with my friend Eric. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Sharkasm Radio. So I... Let's talk about how we met. So we're both here in Lima, and my friend Evie, she puts on these uh, language exchange events ever, twice a week here. Well, you often go to these events, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Since when? Oh, about, I, I found them, I guess, um, about a year ago, but I haven't been in town mm-hmm. the whole time. Right. I've been gone for about a half a year. Yeah, so I think if, about a month ago, Evie came home after the event, and she was like, I have this awesome guy who you need to interview. And I said, okay. So the next, I think the next Monday I went to the event just so that we could chat. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was awesome. I think, <laughs> I think in like 30 minutes, you told me so many just really interesting stories. I was like, yes, oh my God. So now here we are a few weeks later. And yeah, so how did you how did you end up in Lima, Peru? Where are you from originally? Well, I'm from Texas and Louisiana. Uh, I went to school in Southwest Louisiana. Uh, I worked in Texas uh, for the state of Texas, monitoring the aquifers. I also uh, worked for the USGS in Arizona and um, Southwest Florida. How did you get into geology? Um, well. That's kind of interesting. I was it was hitchhiking. I was in El Paso, Texas, where mm-hmm. I uh, had family, and I was uh, just enrolled to go to school and um, at Southwest Louisiana, now Louisiana Lafayette, and um, I was going to leave the area, so I wanted to go camping up in the wilderness area, the Gila Wilderness area in New Mexico. I hitchhiked up there, and my last ride was with a geology professor. Oh, wow. <laughs> who uh, I told him I just signed up to go to college, and he said, I ought to try geology. And <laughs> so I, I gave it a thought and, um, and went for it. Did you know what it was when he said it? Yeah. Okay, cool. I didn't know if there would be job opportunities or what, and that was all my consideration. Yeah. I, I was going to be studying engineering. How would you explain geology, just like, I guess, the definition? study of the earth yeah earth science science. now now I think you want to know how I got to Peru yeah I have a friend I met in uh, Costa Rica when I was living in Costa Rica who had has a chocolate farm around Terrapoto San Martin it's the jungle uh, yeah it's it's the jungle you know it's the jungle but it's not um, it's not flat, flat and swampy it's very hilly Oh, interesting, because I've only been to Iquitos, which is like deep jungle, yeah. I think, a little bit more jungly than yeah. that. There's there. more mountains to it, yeah. um, or hills at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, she wanted me to look at her property and just give her some advice on it. And so that was my purpose in coming here, and I saw uh, Lima and Miraflores, and I liked it, so I came back and stayed. I was telling you a little bit about how 
last night I was doing some research on geology and stuff like that because I studied anthropology and I'm wondering so anthropology has a bunch of different different branches mm -hmm. are there branches of geology as well sure. mm -hmm. did you specialize in a specific one hydrology that's what I worked in water water okay groundwater I worked in surface water too with the USGS yeah as I traveled around I, I sampled the aquifers in Texas I went to different ranches uh, all over the place and farms and mm -hmm. uh, very rural areas and um, and it was nice to see how people lived out of, out of those places um, and you, you meet some strange people <laughs> yeah. you meet a lot of interesting people and you, you see a lot of really interesting land a lot of wildlife too oh what's like the coolest thing you've seen as far as wildlife oh there's so many different things <laughs> you know Horny toads to Gila monster ones to um, up in the Panhandle of Texas they have uh, grasslands. Mm -hmm. It's owned by the National Park Service. Right. There's not a tree on it, but it's because it's a grassland and and um, you, people can't hunt there, so they have a lot of pronghorn antelope, and they know that they so they congregate on this property, uh, this little bit of national land. Mm -hmm. And um, driving through that one time, I saw 300 pronghorn antelope. And 300? I, yeah, in a big group. Whoa. Yeah. I saw, um, when you get down to the coast and you see all the, the snow geese and the Canadian geese and um, the uh, sandhill cranes, there'll mm -hmm. be thousands of them yeah. in a, a field. And it, it, the noise it makes is just incredible. It's very, very, very loud. You hear it from a mile away. They're extremely loud, all those birds. Yeah, I've heard it on like National Geographic like videos, but it's I can't pretty, even imagine seeing yeah. that in real life or hearing it. I saw um, monarch butterflies on the, um, you know, the trail of the monarch butterflies. They all congregate down in Mexico at a certain time of year. Yeah. Well, on that path... Uh, they go through some desert in Texas, and in, in those kind of little uh, areas, uh, little towns, people, of course, plant trees, and that'll be the only tree around. It's the one they plant around their house. Right. And I saw in this tree by a house just covered with monarch butterflies. I mean, they were, like, dripping <gasps> one on top of another. So you caught and, the migration. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You walk underneath the tree, and it's like... If from a distance, it looks like branches and leaves, but mm -hmm. when you walk underneath it, they all start fluttering and you get this big old cloud of butterflies. Whoa. I, um, I've seen some uh, big cats. What? In Texas? Well, yeah, people had them. Cougars. Oh, yeah. Two different places. Um, Have you seen the Florida panther, which I think no. is extinct now? <laughs> yeah, that thing is pretty rare. Yeah. yeah. I saw uh, three bobcats like one a week in this area, they all behave the same way. When you see them and they see you, the first thing they do is run off, go find a protected spot, mm -hmm. like underneath the mesquite bush, and stop, turn around, look at you. Just watch you. Just for a second, then they turn around and take off. Hmm. They all three did that same thing. That's Got crazy. to a safe spot, turned around, looked at me, and then took off. One time I saw, um, I drove up and met a lady who um, had a bunch of cats around her house. She had a big horse too. And um, so I was sampling 
I was talking about sampling her well, and I just mentioned, mm-hmm. you sure got a lot of cats. And she said, yeah, I got a big one out back, too. And she said, I got a cougar. So she walked me around the back so I could see this cougar in a big cage. And while I was looking at it, she pulled out her wallet, opened it up, and in there was a picture of a bobcat. She said it was her pet bobcat (laughs) that she kept in the house. Well, bobcats are a little smaller, or no? They're about 30, 40 pounds. They can... They can eat a house cat. Jesus. So the, the cat that she had outside, what was it in a cage? It was a cougar in a cage, and she said it was a rescue cougar. The uh, authorities had brought it to her, and the reason they brought her this cougar to keep and raise is because she had already raised a cougar. She had one that she raised on her own, oh. and she kept this cougar in the house. What? Yes. Until what age? Like a, a, like a Oh, it was big. <gasps> That's see, I don't really like that. So I I have this weird obsession with primates or non-human primates. So I love like monkeys, apes, but I would never have one in the house. Even a small spider monkey, I would never have because one, they need to be outside. Yeah. But two, how many stories have you seen of pet chimps that are amazing for thirty years and then all of a sudden they're gonna rip your face off? Mm-hmm. Like, you never know what they're gonna do. That's so dangerous. And a cat. Mm-hmm. Oof. I hope she's okay right now. <laughs> oh yeah, she was fine. Uh, all she had was. See, she couldn't let that the cougar loose that she had. It was wild. Yeah. Uh, well, she got it when it was wild, right. but she raised the other one. Okay, yeah. I guess that it's a little better, but still, you never know what She trusted happen. it. Yeah. The, one, the first one she had. That's crazy. Yeah, it kind of is. So talking about, so you basically test aquifers. That's like... Yeah. What, so I remember probably 10 years ago, I was living at home, and my brother was very into testing water and he had a friend who installed like a reverse osmosis some sort of filtration in his house and then they brought it over to my house and what we did was we bought we bought a bunch of different water bottles we bought aquafina we bought the nestle water like i would say four different bottled waters that they sell in the store and then we tested those ver- uh, against the uh what is it called tap water mm-hmm in our house and then against the reverse osmosis water and I'm pretty sure the bottled water is it pH that the levels that you have to check when you're checking water I, I don't yeah, remember what that's we, one thing we, he had um it wasn't it wasn't those little papers but it was something else that tested this paper and I remember that the tap water and the bottled water was the same <laughs> and really the only like pure water was the reverse osmosis water but it's also not good to drink Water that's like that pure, right? It has to have some sort of minerals in it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's I think it's shown that if you have soft water, places have soft water. If you look at the population, they have a higher rate of heart problems. So what is soft water? Crappy Without water? minerals, no. Oh. Void of minerals. Like just pure. Yeah. Oh. More closer to to distilled water. And it's linked to heart problems. I think so. Wow. Yeah, well, not it's not linked. It's just a higher association. The um, and water. Um, well, we we tested for the federal drinking water standards. Uh, that's a whole lot of things. A lot of metals um, and pH. Yes, um, with pH of water, you just want it to be alkaline, uh, higher than seven. Right. Um, remember when I was in Costa Rica? All of that water was very acidic. You, 
Um, it's because it didn't, um, it just went through the, a lot of vegetation, green vegetation there in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And underneath that's volcanic soil, so it dropped through the, the soil quickly. It didn't, um, no limestone or anything to buffer it mm-hmm. and get the pH back up. So it was very acidic there. Um, a lot of times you'll find acidic water uh, around pine trees in places where they have sandy soils and pine trees and all those pine needles on the surface. Um, and a shallow aquifer, uh, the water trickles through that and through those pine needles and becomes very acidic. Um, and that's dangerous to drink, obviously. Well, you can drink acidic fluids, uh, orange juice, mm. lemon juice. It's not going to hurt you. But the problem is when it's in your tap water, mm-hmm. it corrodes the metal of pipes. Oh, so okay. you, you end up getting metals in your pipe, in your water. Uh, and that's what you don't want at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't want any metals. What would, what would consuming metals do to a body? Well, it takes very little, a small amount, a tiny, tiny amount. Um, and just various things that hurt your organs. It's just all around yeah. horrible. It's crazy. How's the water in Lima? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't. I haven't brought any to the lab. You haven't? No. Why? I don't know where a lab is here in Lima. <laughs> you know. There probably isn't. I drink bottled water. Yeah, uh, of I don't course. think about it. Yeah, I got clean water for you. Don't worry. It's nice. It's the San Mateo too. It's like oh. the best one. So I guess. One thing I really want to talk about, because it's such a big topic right now, mm-hmm. is what's going on in the coast of Florida. Yeah. So, they call it the red tide, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that it, it's attributed to climate change or deregula- like deregulation of the whole process or both? Both. Um, mostly deregulation, allowing of nutrients in the water, fertilizers from farming um, that runs off and um, in yards also. Um, that's what it is. You, if you don't regulate it and all that's going into water like that and it's warm, a lot of sun like they have mm-hmm. in southern Florida, yeah. you're going to grow stuff. You're going to grow algae and bacteria. <clears throat> and there's even um, a higher rate of um, that fleshing bacteria uh, around those areas that have the water coming out of uh, flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah, it's uh, all kind of bacteria grows in that yeah. those nutrients in those waters, and it's right. So I mean, it's it's not like everybody's gonna get it, but a few people do. Yeah, I haven't made it to the beach to see it firsthand, but I keep seeing videos and pictures of like the red shore, and it's just like crazy that no one's doing anything about it. I don't think they can. It's just um, you can't reverse that. Well, it's uh, the, uh, like the f- top ten feet of the water of the uh, Gulf of Mexico. You know, how do you f- how do you clean that up um, when it stretches out for a few miles? What can we do <laughs> about that? Time. I think uh, the winter. When it comes winter time, it gets less sun. That's less likely, and you, yeah, hopefully less runoff. I think. Um, the hurricane that's running up the uh, end of the, the Gulf of Mexico right now, mm-hmm. uh, west of Florida, I think it'll probably help, but I don't know. To push things Just, or yeah, churn it, or churn it up, yeah. yeah. I would think that's going to help and move it along, Yeah. I hope. 
But I mean, it's going to just keep happening. So really, we have yeah. to. The only way to stop it is to stop the nutrients, yeah. the cause of it. It's crazy that they put so much money into things that. Well, the sugar industry and the um, oranges, uh, oranges are really getting hit in Florida, but the sugar industry um, uses a lot of nutrients, a lot of fertilizers. And I think that's a large part of the um, problem for the red tide, I believe. Well, what's going on with the oranges? Oh, their production just keeps going down and down drastically. Because of the soil or? Different uh, the hurricanes and different uh, problems with the oranges, fungus, mm-hmm. fungus and that are getting into the, uh, or flies. I'm not sure what it is, but they're, the production is very, very low compared to what it was 15 years ago. Hmm. That's why orange juice is so dang expensive. And, and another thing about Florida is, is just how shallow the aquifer is and how um, the limestone, it's all limestone. It fractures uh, and water and pollution goes from the surface into the aquifer very, very easily. South of Caloosahatchee, uh, Lake I mean, the Caloosahatchee River mm-hmm. and Lake Okeechobee, south of that, the highest elevation is something like 16 feet. That's it, total. Mm-hmm. And you go 50 feet below the surface, and I guarantee you, uh, you're going to hit the, the ground table. Yeah. And if not, it's brackish water. So you have uh, these pollutants that can easily get into it, mm-hmm. into the aquifer. Can you explain what an aquifer is? Uh, an aquifer is a formation that transmits or has the ability to let water move through it. So is it a physical thing like yes. that, you, that someone builds or is it part no, of the No, no, no. It's like um, a thick layer of, li- of sand. Okay. Uh, that sand, you see there's a lot of pore space in between the sand grains and that's where the water is. Mm-hmm. And it actually uh, can move, the water can pass through the time slowly it moves and uh, it's like a huge sponge saturated sponge uh, that gets replenished and um, people use it now in in Florida it's like I said it's very shallow down to the fresh water and the fresh water sits on top of brackish water that is in a nutshell what's holding back the seawater and as you use it you you drop that water table, the fresh water, then the seawater is going to replace it. And once it moves into an aquifer, that's it. it it's brackish, and it's not. You're going to have to spend money to clean it up to drink it. Yeah. So um, probably will happen at some point. You know, Miami will get hit by a big hurricane, and all that pollution. Is just going to get all stirred up on the surface, and um, it's going to be a big mess. So another question I want to ask you: What do you say to people that believe in creationism? <laughs> There's nothing you can't say. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't challenge those people. Yeah, it's like a waste of um, time, right? They have a uh, a place in Texas, a state park, because they had some dinosaur fossils. Mm. And there's somebody close to there who put up a, uh, his own display of what his creationism thoughts were. And so he has this 
display showing man and dinosaurs together. <laughs> kind of, um, you know, I mean, what do you say to someone like that? You don't challenge them, you just let them have their belief. Let them die out. <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. I'm like, please, I can't anymore. Okay, I have to bring something. So I recently went to Cusco. I did a five-day trek in El Sangate, which is basically the Rainbow Mountain. Mm-hmm. And I got me these Some rocks. beautiful yeah. rocks. Where did you get them? Around the Rainbow Mountain? Uh, a different yeah. mountain, but yeah, one of the similar areas. I forgot my mineralogy so long ago. Oh, really? But yeah, you forget these things. <laughs> Sometimes it pops up, but... Um, no, these are... Um, this is like sedimentary. Maybe. I really love this, this one, so this, is, That's, uh, this one looks gorgeous. It's, it's like easier, a white. It's easier to identify a fresh crystal face from something that has been eroded. Yeah. So this is like a crystal, this one here? Yeah, it's quartz or calcite, probably. And uh, yeah, this is another mineral here. It might be limonite, might be iron. Um, if you had a piece of tile, you could scratch it and look at the color if it's kind of like a brick red. Oh, so the color outside of it is the erosion? Or like the maybe soil or something? No, that's the color of the, the crystal or the mineral. Just, uh, but if you scratch it, that's a way to test for it on, okay. on a piece of tile. Mm-hmm. And you see if it, it's like a um, brick red. <clears> then <throat> it has iron and it's, um, I believe, limonite, kind of. It might be that. Uh, but I, I would guess calcite. Do you believe in like energy from crystals? Because that's no. like a no. Why not? Because <laughs> I studied crystals. I know what it's all about. It's like you know. It's like it's just atomic structures. I asked my Instagram followers <laughs> for questions to ask you. Okay. Somebody wanted to know about the red tide in Florida, mm-hmm. and also, is there an equation that shows CO two emissions are the cause for global warming? Well, I'm sure they've done scientific experiments to show that CO two increases um, the heat by capturing the, the heat close to the earth. You know, living in Texas, I grew up in El Paso. I actually grew up on a little bitty uh, strategic air command base and lived there for 10 years because my dad had a high security job. They didn't move people around like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, I was at one base for 10 years, right on the border. And um, so I kind of grew up uh, around this knowing those issues of being a border town. Mm-hmm. Um, not as a young child, but I, I had Mexican-American friends. And, um, I mean, that's who the majority of the people in town were, of yeah. course. And I came back, I went back to El Paso and did some volunteer work, um, helping people that were coming up from Central America when we had a war in Central America the late 1980s, 1990 um, or so. They had a lot of refugees coming up from Central America, Guatemala, a lot of Guatemalan Indians. Mm-hmm. And uh, very few of them were, were given political amnesty. Many applied, but it was very rare. They did, they did give it to uh, typically Guatemalan Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I worked helping those people, um, not just the Indians, but other Guatemalans. They had, they had people that actually um, uh, left the military side of it. Oh, okay. They were 
they were seeking political amnesty too, and some of them had, had relatives murdered by the guerrillas. So they just wanted to get away from the war. Yeah. Uh, which you know, I can understand it if somebody had murdered your brother, and uh, you know, in the place that you live, you'd probably be thinking about leaving town too. Yeah. What's the difference between political amnesty and um, asylum? It's the same thing. Same thing. Political okay. asylum, political amnesty, yes. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I helped um, nine people. There were five adults and four children. And um, three of them actually were kind of like on the military side. They, uh, they, they had a middle-aged lady, another her husband, and a teenage daughter. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the middle-aged lady, who just looked like, you know... A typical Hispanic middle-aged lady, but she'd been in the military. She actually hurt her knee parachuting out of a plane. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, she was trained in the military at, when she was young, and um, so they took her family and they put them out on a um, like a picket kind of um, task. They did the same thing in Vietnam. <coughs> where they, they take a group of people and they tell them to settle in this valley in an area <clears throat> and they stretch them out. They'll have a few different hamlets like this mm-hmm. and their task is, is to stop the infiltration of the guerrillas moving down the valley, uh, which puts them right in the middle of the war. Yeah, in, that's in crazy. Effect. But that's what they do. That's what they did. And they're armed and everything? Like, yeah, just... I believe so. I, that I can't really say. I didn't know the situation that well. I imagine I imagine they were told to inform the military if they saw them. Oh, so they were just informants that yeah. were there to just keep yeah. an eye. Wow. That was their purpose. So the guerrillas and, and the person I was helping was in charge of one of these little hamlets. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman? Well, the, the couple. Both of them. Wow. <laughs> and... Um, and his brother, the guy's brother, was in charge of another hamlet uh, at the other end of the valley. And the guerrillas got a hold of him, killed him, brought, his, brought him or left his body close to the other end of the picket fence of hamlets. So his family could see. Yeah, by his, so his brother would notice. And everybody was terrified in between that. Okay, they killed him over there, or whatever. They brought him from there to here, mm-hmm. and we're in between. So, it um, then he left, and that's that's what motivated him to come to the U.S. and look for political asylum. Then, and I had I had um, uh, two families of Guatemalan Indians, and um, you know, in those those society, it's very very. Um, they have extended families. They're all somewhat related to their, their cousins are around, uh, the aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. And it just takes a lot to move these people that are living in an agrarian society off their land. <laughs> you know, yeah. They, they, yeah, it takes a lot. And, the, and when you see them, you, know, you hear all this about um, how bad these immigrants are coming up from the South, from Central America. But these were the most humble, um, non-threatening people you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, two kids, 
I mean, the three-year-old girl is just clingy the whole time to her mother. Yeah. You know, just... Um, she must have been really confused and scared. Well, shy. She was, yeah. you know, she was with her family, so she was happy with that. But but she was just a shy kid, and most of them are. Most yeah. of them, especially the girls, are, are very timid and just non-threatening. So to hear him described as MS-13 is just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing even close to that. I never saw anybody that looked like that at all, yeah. ever, when I worked there for seven months. I mean, that was in, you said the 90s, but I'm yeah. sure it's no different now. I mean, there's, you know, there's good and bad people everywhere, but I think the people that are looking and fleeing from the disaster of their own land, it's not because, I'm sure it, it hurts them to leave their own land first off, you know, it's not like they're going, I'm going to go to Disney World, like, no, they're fleeing. They're war. refugees. Yeah. You know, it's not a fun thing for them. Now they're they're fleeing the the gangs. They are fleeing MS-13 down right. there. It's the good people coming up, not the bad people. It's kind of like what's happening in Venezuela now, too, and how they're all coming here to mm -hmm. Lima. And there's some people that are not okay with that. <laughs> and people like us that are sensible and understand that, like, who cares? They're right. refugees. Plus, I feel, I don't know how you feel about, so I think generally customer service here is not good. <laughs> I'm going to put that light, I'm going to put that lightly. <laughs> but when you yeah. get, when you get um, someone, at, you know, a waiter at a restaurant, and they're clearly Venezuelan, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've noticed, the service is much better. Mm -hmm. They're much nicer, they actually check on you. Not to say that Peruvians don't offer good service, but just from what I've experienced in my time living here and visiting here my whole life, People are very incompetent. <laughs> and I think I spoke to someone, one of the guys that works in the market here that I go to, mm -hmm. he's Venezuelan and he was telling me that most of the Venezuelans that are here are like professional mm -hmm. level. Like, so they're, you know, smart and they have, he's, for example, is like the chief of police in his city and now he's working at a market. Mm -hmm. So it's just very sad how they're treated like garbage, really. The, uh, in defense of the Peruvian, Worker, believe me, I I know your frustration, and yeah, but they uh, there there are no consumer protections here in Peru. It's very very few, yeah. so um, I don't think the the retail worker is empowered to do anything. They yeah. can, in a nutshell, they can they have to appease their boss, mm -hmm. who doesn't have any authority to do anything either. Yeah. So. I just feel like a lot of the times they act like you're you're doing them a favor to even ask a question or. Sometimes I, maybe I, I say, maybe I, I enunciate wrong and they don't understand me at first, but a lot of the times I'll ask for something so basic, like I don't know, anything, and they just look at me like I'm a wild animal, like out of a cage. But even anything as simple as serving me a dish at a restaurant and coming back and asking, how is the food? Those things are very rare here. <laughs> and when it does happen, I'm like, here's 10 soles, thank you, like, I love you. So I think the Venezuelans are really raising the, the bar for customer service here because they have can, to. Yeah, they can, they can um, be a positive thing in the workforce, mm -hmm. for sure. They're going to help, they're gonna help the GDP of, uh, of Peru. Hopefully. But now I think they're, well, they, they closed the, I think they're before they, could, they didn't have to have a visa and now they're re regulating it more. And I think... I heard about a month ago that the president of Venezuela is intercepting all the deposits that are going. Like when you go to Western Union, you pay, you send mm -hmm. money to Venezuela. He's just taking all that money. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. It's crazy. 
And then he just donated however many million dollars to Indonesia because of the, mm-hmm. what was it, a tsunami that just happened? Mm-hmm. So it's not like they don't have money. <laughs> sure. I can tell you, I can tell you more stories of strange Texans. Yes, <laughs> tell me all your hitchhiker stories. Oh, um, well, no. When I worked for the state, the people I met, like there's, uh, I, I went to another uh, ranch in the same area. This is around. Midland, Odessa, where they had old, old oil money, mm-hmm. and um, this lady had, uh, she invited me into her house to see it, and it was like every, the walls were just covered with game that she had shot, and she said she had shot like 80% of everything in this house, and it was, she had two, like, Brown bears or polar bears and polar bears? Brown bears. Okay, Okay, I got that one. (laughs) She had brown bears, two brown bears. She had a hippopotamus. What? She shot a hippopotamus. She had she'd been to Africa seven times. So literally her walls were covered with everything birds, cats, you name it. It was there. Did she have a monkey? No, I didn't see I didn't see any monkeys, I gotta admit that. So you, yeah, you ran into the uh, people that love cats, and you ran into the people that wanted to shoot them. Both, the, I didn't pass judgment. I just, it was interesting to see it all. Oh, I'm sure. But walls I, covered. That sounds incredible. Kind of scary. Oh, but. It, oh, it was. She had just everything you can imagine. Like I said, even a hippopotamus. Yeah, that that is wild. They they leave the meat for the local village to eat, mm-hmm. but she took. A foot home. Oh, uh, I think there's another really interesting person I met who, um, this was around Canyon, Texas, mm-hmm. up in the Panhandle, where you have this high plateaus, and there's literally a canyon that just opens up and gets bigger and bigger as you go south. Mm-hmm. And uh, it opens up into like Paladero Canyon. And um, I met this guy who built two helicopters tiny little homemade helicopters and he flew one um with you yeah he offered to take me up to look around for water wells so okay. i said sure let's go and he said when i said right now <laughs> and uh, it's not waste any time yeah i wasn't gonna pass that up yeah and uh, i was thinking he'd be flying low but he took that thing up to about five thousand feet whoa yeah we were way up and I guess it's safer if you're high, because the um, it, the propeller would auto rotate if it, if the engine quit and come down somewhat fast. But oh, you have more time to yeah. Slow now down. now if you're moving along though at 60, 80 miles an hour in this little plastic shell, mm-hmm. the uh, vertically, and you crash at 60 or 80 miles an hour going vertically will yeah, kill fine. you. Now, um, it was, and, and he, he, we flew with the, with the doors off, too. It was, it was windy and chilly. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, I only had... Were you wearing a leather jacket? Um, no, I don't think I had at the time, but, but uh, all I had was that seatbelt on. And, you know, you look over the side, and it's yeah. literally a 5,000-foot drop. And it's a homemade plane. Oh, yeah. You're holding on to the seatbelt, believe me. Whoa. <laughs> but, um... Three or four years later, uh, the guy, uh, he used to fly his kids around, his grandkids, rather. And he uh, went to see his grandkids' uh, basketball game. 
at a higher elevation at a place um, uh, about, a, I don't know, 60 miles away. Um, they had the basketball game and it was uh, dark when he left. And they had a front that came in and he was flying low to the ground. And him and his wife, they hit a oil, some oil field, uh, a pump jack, and both of them were killed. He, um, they didn't find the bodies for a month because they just wasn't that much wreckage and it blended right in with the, um, with the, the pump jack and the oil field stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you been to the Nazca lines here? Um, just driven by it. Because oh, okay. I heard the the helicopter, plane, jets, whatever, are very old and unstable oh, <laughs> and dangerous, so. probably. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd want to trust them here, either. <laughs> the, you know, the Nazca lines, all it is is, um, all you have to do is turn over a rock. They're so bleached by the sun, mm-hmm. sitting in a, that very, very intense sun, and uh, so the underside of the rock is a darker color. Mm-hmm. So all they do is turn over the rock. Now, they had um, some Greenpeace actors. Oh, yeah, like two they, weeks or two years ago, right? Yeah, they went out there and put out a sign by some Nazca lines. Mm-hmm. But they didn't realize when they were going out there doing it, they were kicking over the rocks. So, <laughs> so they were marring the scenery. You know, they were, you know, and that's, that's um, but that's all it is. You just have to turn the rocks back over. Yeah, um, I guess recreate it, but oof. Yeah. I remember reading that article and just being like, and it's, it's Greenpeace. It's supposed to be like an organization that understands well, they shouldn't do that. They kind of goofed on that one. Yeah, it was probably a beginner. What's, okay, what's your favorite thing about Peru? <laughs> San Antonio's um, empanadas. <laughs> yeah, oh, they're, they're, yeah, their chocolate empanada is just out of this world. Chocolate empanada? Um, chocolate croissant, rather. Oh, I've never had that. The chocolate croissant, yeah. You see, because I was right next door, I knew yeah. when to do it, yeah. when to hit it. You the know? fresh, the, the perfect fresh time. time. Oh, I'd run over there, you know, right at eight or just before eight, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the chocolate still melted, and it's Oof. like the the croissant was just firming up, and it was still oh. warm, and it was like, <laughs> oh, I really, really, really liked them. So is that your favorite thing? Yeah, it still is. But it, like I said, you have to be there at the right time. It's like a half an hour time frame, then the chocolate starts to. Solidify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> What's your least favorite thing about Peru or Lima? Um, all the people bumping into you on the sidewalk. Yes. Couples will be walking down, yeah, and they, they have their kids, one kid in each hand, mm-hmm. and the kid's dancing or jumping up and down, <laughs> and they, they take up the whole sidewalk, and I'll walk that kid right into you. Yeah. I just don't get it. Yeah. So I, I intentionally, the way I've really get down the sidewalk the easiest way is to go right down the middle and let them get out of my way. Yeah. Well, what I do now is, if they're coming toward me, if you're, if their back is to you, you're, you can't really do much. Yeah. But when I go out and run, it's mm-hmm. a nightmare because mm-hmm. <laughs> when they're behind, when you're behind them, what I do is I'll try to stomp a little harder mm-hmm. so that they hear me. But a lot of times they don't or they don't react. So then I'll be like, "Permiso," like really, really exaggeratedly loud, mm-hmm. and then they're like shocked yeah. that I'm like yeah. intervening. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> and now now if the person's coming at me, like directly at me and I'm going toward them, mm-hmm. usually they're on their phone. And if they're yeah. on their phone, oof, I will not I'll walk right into them. Yeah. 
hopefully like something disastrous mm -hmm. happens so they could learn. <laughs> I'll put like, me in it. Wow. You know what else works well? Uh, empty cup of Starbucks coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. That'll scare them. <laughs> I've had to bump into people many times. Oh, I do it all they the don't time. they don't look. They're not looking at where they're walking. Yeah, I think that's one of the worst things for sure. And that noise means that I screwed up and I somehow didn't record the outro to the interview. So I'll just reiterate now. Thank you, Eric, so much for being on the show, for coming and letting me ask you random questions and answering them and sharing your wild stories. I learned a lot and I hope you guys did too. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes and Spotify. And, you know, maybe throw me a few stars. Um, let me know what you think. Share with your friends, with your family, and, you know, even with your pets. If you have a pet that you leave at home for a very long time while you're at work or just out, you know, put on my podcast on loudspeaker throughout your house so that you can entertain your, your pets. I'm really popular in the dog community, so, you know, Give your dog a little treat. Instead of giving him a treat filled with chemicals, give him a treat of Sharkasm Radio. All right, guys. Have a good rest of the week, and I'll see you next week.